Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, so it's Chris, right? Yes. All right, Chris Radsby, tell me where you're working right now, man. And thank you so much for being here again. I know I already said that, but thanks again. No worries. I'm currently working for uh, Ubisoft Massive in Sweden. It's the developers of The Division. Awesome. And so you're in Sweden? Yeah, I am. About eight hours ahead of you guys. The European market, is that something you find like there's a good bit of jobs there? Or is it scarce? Or is the talent scarce? Or how does that work? No, I would say there's a bunch of jobs over here. And expanding still, like the European game development scene has been doing really well. Really? That's great to hear. Yeah. Okay, for all the Europeans. All right, so we found you actually through some of your level 80 tutorials, which are just... Oh, I see. Yeah, just amazing. And uh, thank you so much for doing that stuff. The students really love that. Oh, that's good. That's good. It's like I kind of aim them for students and people who want to go into like indie stuff. So they feel like they can, you can make good art or nice looking art with limited means. Yeah, and you know, and that's actually kind of what I thought might be a good direction for our conversation because one of the things I notice about your work is that you finish it, like you take it all the way. And some of these scenes that you do, you know, they could be massive. Yeah. You know, there's a lot. Yeah. yeah, usually I I've always been the kind of type that ends up caring more about the big picture than details. Mm-hmm. I end up use like making huge scenes generally. So how's that work though? Let's say, for example, for somebody who wants to get the job you've got, they want to work on the division. They want to they want to right. get it one of the job, if not your job, then at least one of the jobs that's out there right now that is accessible to them. Depending on what you want to specialize in. I mean, obviously, if you want to be a props artist, you kind of have to know the latest and greatest techniques yeah. of getting like the most quality you can out of your props. But if you're more interested in storytelling and become like a, an environmental artist, like an environment artist, then generally you should focus on just making sure you can make really nice compositions and and see if you can infuse your art with some kind of story as well. I think it's really good, generally. But along those lines, how important is it for somebody to also focus on quality? And I ask that because, you know, if you look at environment jobs, it's kind of confusing right now to know exactly what that job is because there's surfacing. And then props is kind of put in there with environment sometimes. And then there's environment arts, and then there's layout, and then there's, you know, so what are the kind of specialties that you'd recommend or that you see? If you want to go in and become like a texture artist, I feel it's kind of hard right now to only do like textures, like substance designer, because usually you have one or two substance guys at the office, right? Right. They do most of the stuff. Generally, if you want to get into the industry, as I see it right now, you kind of have Mm -hmm. to focus on either environments or props. There will always be like a need for that kind of thing. How do we distinguish ourselves from the rest of the people out there? Well, first you gotta start making stuff that people aren't making in my opinion. If you wanna do like props art. Yeah, let's start with props. It's good to like follow tutorials and stuff to learn new workflows, but I've always thought it's kind of bad when like a lot of people follow the same tutorial and then end up with the same prop. Because for the recruiter, like it's not always your art ends up directly in the hands of like the art lead or someone. But for the recruiter to be able to distinguish between 50 props that looks the same between artists becomes really hard. 
right. generally. So distinguishing yourself with like trying to make stuff that's not super common or like actually do your thing. Like if, if you see someone make a prop, like maybe you go the extra mile and put it into its proper setting, do like a small, tiny little uh, diorama kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I think uh, that's the easiest way of doing it. And for environments, a lot of students, juniors, they tend to, they get too caught up in the game art, you know, like, oh, I have mm-hmm. to make modules, you know, I have to make something yeah. super smart. But if you really want to distinguish yourself from others, then you really just need to focus on like the core art skills. If you can sell your scene with like that thumbnail on ArtStation, then you're really, you're in a good position already, I would say. Oh, that's great. What do you think are the core art skills? Like they could focus on color theory or composition or? Color theory and composition does a lot, actually. Just understanding yeah. like how you can frame things with color. You can add depth with color. It's not only like when people overuse fog for one. Yes, like, yes it's uh, like a pet peeve of mine. Yeah, it just ends up bleaching the whole scene with that mm-hmm. gray filter that just goes into the distance. Like you can do that with color. There's so much more you can do. And if you take like the extra, if you go the extra mile and you just learn more about how to apply them, those techniques, your art will stand out, I would say. How much should we be focused on realism or stylized or how do we understand where we should go there? Because, you know, as a beginner, we don't know what games are being developed by companies per se. Some of that's known, some of it's secret. So I think maybe I just need to be as good as possible. So I'm going to, when I make a rock, I'm going to spend like a month on that rock and it's going to be a damn good rock. Yeah. I, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I always tell like when people ask me, I tell them to focus on realistic art because stylized art is really hard to just generally get a job with, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And most of the bigger studios, they do like these big Hollywood blockbuster, realistic art style type things. Mm-hmm. So that's how it, like if you're if you focus is like you want to get a job and you don't really maybe you don't really care what company then totally go for realistic it's easier but if you know that you want to work for like Blizzard or something then you really need to focus on like stylized but that only really sets you up for those types of stylized games right mm-hmm. yeah I've been thinking about that question a bit because I, you know I know for example Leticia Gillett who's a friend of mine's been in the industry for a bit and um. She worked at Blizzard and she went to school right. where I went to school and she was all her students or all her teachers would tell her, you know, you got to put something realistic in the portfolio. And she's like, I don't want right. to do any realistic work. <laughs> I hate right, it. Right. Yeah. So she did all stylized and she focused and that got her a job at Overwatch. And then that got right, her a yeah. job. Now she's at DreamWorks. So, you know, you have to focus. But is it your opinion that the bulk of the jobs is really at least the, the most direct path is if you don't care, realistic work? Yes, I would say it is. Because the bigger companies tend to just like do realistic mostly. Like mm-hmm. stylized, it's really hard, in my opinion, to distinguish yourself in stylized because you just have to be really good at stylized. I'm doing stylized because I've been working in the industry for a long time and I have the privilege of doing stylized because I find it fun. And don't make my stylized with the like the thinking that I, I'm going to land a job. You know, that's just for me, you know. Mm-hmm. But in the end, like if you're passionate about stylized stuff, then go for that, I guess. But like if you if you if you want, it's good to it's definitely good to have like be able to do realistic stuff, and it's easier it's, these days as well. Like Substance Painter yeah, makes yeah. things easier to do realistic stuff. We had to fight so hard to even do deal with like metals and stuff back in the day when there was only like specular maps and gloss maps. Mm-hmm. But yeah, realistic probably the way to go. 
Riley's asking an interesting question about whether or not um, that will continue or not. And um, one of the things that it kind of fuels that, of course, is uh, I think it's Stadia, Google's platform with the 10 Mm -hmm. teraflops. That's going to ideally, who knows, there's a lot in the execution, but that's going to ideally open up the bandwidth, right? So let's say, for example, you know, if I want to play a game right now, Mm -hmm. most games are either console or on the PC. Right. If I want to maybe... I have a PC in the studio and I have a Mac in the house. So if I want to play something with my kids, you know, is it cross-platform? There's a million different problems involved in all of that stuff. And a lot of it has to do with just hardware issues and teams developing for, for example, one of the games I love, uh, Wartile. It only does PC because they only have three developers. So if they develop for Mac and now they've got multiple test case scenarios they have to deal with, big pain in the butt. So they don't. Right. Stadia, Stadia might change that, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. It might open. I mean, from what I've seen, it seems very promising. The only problem would be people's bandwidth. But it really does open up a whole lot of opportunities when, when hardware no longer really becomes like the issue mm-hmm. uh, in that sense. So that, that's quite interesting. Or Yeah, and cross-platform stuff as well. Yeah, uh, I remember... In their demo, where they went from the PC to the, they just went from one device to another device, and it all worked. It only, yeah, it's just streaming video and inputs, right? So I, I mean, I feel like that it's it's going to be very promising. Generally, you might not see it like for a lot of competitive games and stuff, but it's mm-hmm. definitely promising for all kinds of like other games. I think they showcase like Assassins or something. Yeah, uh, and it seems pretty valuable f- for that kind of thing. I think. What about artificial intelligence? Some of the crazy stuff going on there. Like, right. have you seen the the Codex avatars by Facebook that just they make basically make your face? I haven't actually. That's quite oh, interesting. No. Yeah, but then yeah. with artificial intelligence dealing with procedural art and with substance already being procedural, mm-hmm. what do we do? I think you just have to become more technical. <laughs> yeah, there's always someone who has to author everything. Mm-hmm. It's just new ways of working. It's just doing the work for you. I don't know if you've seen like Andrew uh, Maximov's uh, Prometheus AI, or it's like, I think it's, he's working on, I'm not sure what you, it would be a plugin or like, it's like infused into Unreal. And he's like telling the AI to like, please make me an 80s style room. And it just generates an 80s style room with all the props and layout. Like, no, I want it to be neat, not messy. <laughs> and then it just cleans everything up and adds all the props based on the rules that he set up, right? Like it's doing all the things so that you can, you spend less time moving around the gizmo, right? So that you can spend the time actually creating, which will open a lot of doors if it's actually becoming the workflow for the future. Because that means like maybe your narrative designer guy could do all the level art or environment art propping for you or for himself, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's quite interesting, that thing. It's a bit scary. We'd all lose our jobs. Uh, <laughs> But I, I don't know, you got to like more and more things becoming procedural. So you kind of, it, it sucks a bit, but you have to become more technical and get used to it. Like, and, and Substance Designer is a good like launching platform to get used to like working with node-based systems and all of that stuff. You get like that basic understanding of, of like how you would deal with shader networks as well. Mm-hmm. And like how you, because a lot of visual node stuff happens in like scripting as well, right? In like Unreal and in, in, in other AAA studios, game engines as well, like where they script stuff, they have dialogue trees and everything and all that kind of 
is kind of connected in the same way. So you kind of get used to it. That makes sense, actually. So if I understand you correctly, you're saying basically you need to learn how to talk to this stuff, talk to the AI, which will most likely in the beginning not be natural language, but it will be some sort of nodal-based system that you have to interface with. Probably. Like set up this complex set of rules. Even if it's just not straight up code, it'll probably be like like a hierarchy of like a dialogue tree. Like if this yeah. happens, this is inputs comes in, you have to figure out like how to generate the rules. It's becoming more and more prominent in, in game development today, I think. Yeah. Well, let's get yeah. back to the art because I think the other thing that's really relevant there is is if you don't have an idea and if you don't have a story and if you don't know the foundations of art, AI is unlikely to solve that stuff for you. So what are some of the tips, some of the, the ways that you think about story in an environment? Like, for example, the one we're looking at right now or the, the 70s one that you did. How much story? How do you write the story? What kind of story? I usually start by listening to music. This is something I do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I close my eyes. I find a good soundtrack. Generally, I just go like, I know what kind of scene I want to work on, like what kind of setting. And then I find music. And then I just close my eyes and and like I start making in my head what I, I just figure out like the, the, the minimum of the story in my head of what to do. I remember when I did that uh, like sci-fi scene where the, like the ship is flying over my scene, I was just listening to Mass Effect soundtrack. And, and that just popped in. Like I just wanted to show... I wanted to show epic scale. I want to show different colors, and I wanted to uh, fill my like environment with some kind of life, some kind of swooping motion, and that ended up just being that ship that comes flying through my scene. So yeah, I mean, uh, any story you can infuse your scene with is better than no story, in my opinion. But if you, don't, if you don't mind, um, I want to kind of see if I can unpack that a little bit because for me, I, the devil's always in the details. So when you say you have in mind the setting. How's that framed in your mind? Is it like desert landscape? You said epic scale. Is Do you know in advance that you're like, I'm going to do a forest scene? I do. Like I, I tend to break it down to like super small things. I imagine a main color first. Like I imagine a main, like for that scene, I imagined orange. Okay. And then I, in my head, I saw a tower and it was orange and tower. For a long time, it was orange and just a tower. And then I started developing the scene from there. So I tend to like use main focal point, tower. Yeah. Main color, orange. Okay, got it. You know? And then I start adding to it, like, what leads up to the tower uh -huh. and what are, like, the, the complement colors or the contrast colors to the scene and start adding another main color that complements it. Or uh, So I go very basic when I first start something. Got it. You know, one of the things, especially with environment, that got me thinking recently, recently I've been just diving into this a bit more. If we're, like, looks, looking at... Um, I don't know, maybe landscape painting, or even if you're looking at like concept, you get something from like uh, Mondragiev, you know, one of the cinematic concept artists, you know, mm -hmm. and, and their job is just to showcase something cool in the scene. But in a, in a game, an environment isn't just a landscape. It, it's people, somebody has to move through it. There right. has to be a purpose and a place and a destination. And how does that affect your creation process? Do you think about uh, that or, or does it not affect it at all? I tend to think about it. I mean, not I like I put it lower on my like in priorities. Mm -hmm. Generally, like I don't like these days. I don't really approach my art with games in mind, which is it might sound weird, but I do game art. But I try to look at more. I try to frame my own stuff like paintings. Mm -hmm. I also don't look at concept art with characters in it because. Concept art with characters in it are all focused on the character and not the world. Right. 
Yeah. So, and a lot of people end up like, oh, this is a cool concept art. And then they make the scene, but then they miss the whole point because the, <laughs> the character yeah. was the focus, you know, I and without the character, it just looks not very interesting. So yeah, I tend to, whenever I browse concept art, even if they have a character on it, I tend to pop the character away in my head and see, does the scene actually work without the character? Right. That's so, a fantastic I mean, that, point. Yeah, that's something I, I tend to do. And uh, but yeah, I also I also value my, like when I go through concept art and reference, I tend to look at the concept art and see, I start counting like the individual elements. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this has like five unique rocks. It has like 10 different buildings, you know, they're using widely different materials. And then I'll come up with like, okay, so how would this actually take, how long would this take to produce? Six months. Okay, that's too much, you know? So then I start like finding other concept art or reference that actually suits like my timeline more. One month, two months, because it's, it's super easy to use, pick the wrong concept. And then you end up just shooting yourself in the foot because the scene won't look good without all of these 50 unique elements in it. And then it's, that's why people, like most people don't end up finishing their scenes yep. because of this reason. It's not their fault. It's just too much work for one person to consistently work on for, for six months. Like you, you have to be really dedicated to be able to do that. And for people learning, that's actually detrimental to their learning process, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's better for them to quick fire environments or dioramas where they, they feel like they achieve something quickly and then learn more stuff that they can apply to the next scene instead of spending six months on one huge one. Yeah. And along those lines, how many people usually work on on a scene in the teams that you've been part of? It depends. The games, like I worked on Far Cry 3, and on that mm-hmm. one where we were making like levels, it would be one level or one environment artist per level in mm-hmm. that one. But then you also had, you had a, a prop team making all the props for you, so you would put in That's the test. Yeah, that's a big deal right there. So like you wouldn't, you'd focus only on the compositional elements, the flow through the level and mm-hmm. like how it played together with the level designer, right? So, and if that, if that's what you want to do, then downloading stuff from the internet, doing you like grabbing UE4 marketplace assets is totally fine because your uh, intention is to only like tell stories through the environment and show like how good you are at like composition and flow through an environment and stuff. Then that's totally fine. How does that work for getting a job and for your portfolio? Generally, I would say it's you need to know how to make props. Yeah. But at some point when you've shown that you can make them, like if I see already like you have like high poly, like really nice looking guns or really nice looking assets, like Mm -hmm. whatever, sci-fi radio, there's a limit in how much you need to show because you've already shown that you can make it. And then, then if you wanted to go more into environment art, then you can focus on just making environments like... My environments I'm currently working on, I have one tree and five rocks in it. Right. So it's like you, you can do a lot with few assets, in my opinion, if you mm-hmm. use them right, right? Yeah, but do you think that it's important for an environment artist to have that kind of prop level skill? Like be able, not necessarily at the best level of prop artist, because you know you can dive into that when somebody starts focusing on specific usage and where and really building the authenticity of a piece. But do you think it's still important, even if you want to be an environment artist that's focused more on the composition and the arrangement side, layout side is, I think, what you'd say? I think you need to show that you can do it yourself. It's good if it's the best level it can be. Mm -hmm. But if you want to get a job, you have to get it to junior level. And that's, unfortunately, it's quite high these days. 
because there's a, like games are bigger than ever. But the tools are much better than they used to be. So getting there is easier than it was before, in my opinion. But yeah, you definitely need to show, like you need to be able to like show that you can make your own textures. You know your way around Substance Designer, but nobody's expecting you to be like Josh Lynch or the best. Right. But you need to be able to show that you can do it. And then it's yeah. also about the focus, right? Like if, if you want to be an environment artist, you also, yeah, you need to show that you can make environments. Got it. So on a portfolio, a couple of prompts you did, then if you put together a scene that maybe has marketplace assets or stuff like that, then you're just showcasing a different skill. Yes, exactly. Because I mean, a lot of times there are a bunch of artists that are just like set dressing only. Ubisoft has... They we call it level artists, right? And like their uh -huh. focus is mainly set dressing. Yeah, you know. So then you really need to be able to be really good at just okay, uh, figuring out the logic of the place that you're working in. Be able to make small compositional compelling stories, like environmental storytelling mm -hmm. for those spaces. And like that's a whole skill in itself to make that work. Together with gameplay and stuff, it makes it like can be pretty intricate sometimes. Is that something where they have the assets given to them or they have to build the assets and then dress the set? Oh, in the art test? Yeah. I've seen both. They would be like, oh, you should build your own assets. Or I've even have I've even made art tests that are like they that the where the employer didn't care if I was making the assets or if I downloaded the assets off the internet. Mm -hmm. I did they, they they're uh intention was just to judge my sense of being able to set dress a scene got it that makes sense and about art tests i mm -hmm. like to ask this of everybody to get a sense of how people perceive this because you know you'll often read mostly from people outside the industry or people who are kind of on the way out you, this argument that this industry is the only one that does art tests like where you have to prove that you can do, you basically have to do the work before they are even remotely willing to pay you or even engage you in a conversation to pay you Right. About it. So it can seem quite daunting, right? But I remember one of my friends, Melissa Bello, who had, she did two art tests for right. Sucker Punch Studio. And mm -hmm. this was after she worked for a decade at Naughty Dog, like a yeah. decade at yeah. one of the leading game companies. And you'd think if anybody was safe, Melissa would be safe, but she's not safe. Two art yeah, tests. It happens. It's sad, but it does happen. Like when they don't have anything that they can show, mm -hmm. like even. Personal work. Like, not, not like no personal work. And even mm -hmm. like if, if they show, sure, you worked on Uncharted or something, you know, and then, but like it's, it's always like, uh, this huge level and it was made by me and 20 other people. Then it's just, right. it's very hard. I haven't really heard about anyone lately having to do artists mm -hmm. if they're experienced, but I guess, I'm guess I, I'm not that involved in that. I mean, I know that, uh, uh students get art tested all the time. What do you think is an important, I'm going to say it's in a simple way and then I'll break it down. But what do you think is an important thing for people to have in the portfolio? And what I mean by that is one of the things that we do in the bootcamp, one of the beliefs I have anyways, is that, you know, it's not important for you to kind of master everything. Because for me, that's just, that's not, yeah. you, once you go deep, you realize there's deeper to go. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. So mastery is a, it's a, it's an odd conversation. But what is important is that you need to hit the triggers or the kind of evolutions that people need to see you go through. So, for example, in character art, for example, anatomy is relevant, but it's not everything. Mm -hmm. Next mm -hmm. thing is 
can they pull together an entire character and get it out of ZBrush and use substance and get it into Marmoset? Like that's just the first evolution, in my opinion. Can you complete right. an actual character? If you can't do that, I kind of don't care how much you can sculpt because sculpting is just a small part of the game, of the process, right? Right. So what do you think people need to have in their portfolio? Let's say they want to be an environment artist, not just props, but they want to be an environment artist. They might start at props. I mean, gladly take mm-hmm. the job, but they want to show themselves. What do they need to have? Like, What are the, the artistic triggers that tell you somebody's ready for this job? So what's really impressive generally is like I tend to judge people by a couple of different categories because we've hired people that have made one good environment. Like he, the dude had one environment. Yeah, but it was so well made. It wasn't like the best quality environment, but he did everything right. He did all the props. Like he utilized several techniques. He got it working for VR. You know, he did the lighting, the particles, the gameplay. You know, he just made everything. So you're like, this is a guy who can complete it every aspect of the thing. You know, he has an understanding of game development, and that's a very hireable trait. And then you have people like I tend to judge them about like. Well, both me and my lead, like their artistic skill, like you can, you don't need to be a master of sculpting or texturing or anything, but like you can show like artistic skill. Mm -hmm. Then that's also a very hireable trait because not a lot of people are super strong in just that, right? And then you have just execution, I guess. Just like people are really skilled at just sculpting or detailing. Like I, I, we have this one guy at the office that's just, he's, great at like putting his head down and putting every tiny detail to a thing right he might not be the best guy to have like in a team to make a you know like a a, a big mission where you have to go talk to all these people in different departments to get it done but like you can give him a task and like i need you to focus this and he just does you know such a great job just figuring out every little detail about that thing so there, there are a couple of things you can excel on i think if if you're looking for something like trying to become good at what what matches your personality type. So what matches my personality type is like, I don't like detailing. So I end up focusing on the big stroke stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. colors, composition, you know, I reuse a lot of stuff like that Wild West scene you had in the introduction, the one I made, like the Wild Mm -hmm. West one, that's like 90% of that are stock textures from Unreal. Mm -hmm. And you can still make a great looking thing or in storytelling and still use the stock textures that Unreal actually is providing you. What are some of the things that you see in the work that tell you this person's just not a candidate? Hmm, that's a tricky one. Uh, mm-hmm. Inconsistency is tricky. Okay. And it's very uh, rough on students because they're learning at such a rapid pace right. that they want to show off everything they've learned during their studies, like one year, two years or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the quality is vastly different between each piece. Right. Not everybody has an understanding. Like the recruiter, they might not know if it's inconsistent or if this person is just good at different styles or or learning. So it's like at some point you kind of want to say goodbye to your older stuff and just cut the cord kind of thing. Yeah. So inconsistency is a big thing. Yeah, you got to like like your taste as well. It's a big deal. And I, I get, it ties into like artistic sense, I think. So you kind of want to like if you're not sure. You kind of just have to ask your your peers or a mentor about what they think about your artistic skill, because maybe you're just not combining the colors. It like it makes it non-pleasing to the eye or something, and you maybe you don't see that yourself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just need some other input, some feedback to be able to like figure that out. 
And taste, that grows with time. Like it's not really anybody's fault. That's just, you have to learn what works. That's just experience generally. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I want to talk about that, the question of where you get taste. But before I get into that, it's a tough one, especially for people beginning. They want to show they've got a lot of work. So that introduces the potential for inconsistency. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've noticed, I don't know if this isn't as true for environment artists, but for character art, you know, it can be, Environment art can take a long time. Character art can take a long time. But mm -hmm. for example, one of my um, students, Niles, he, he came just came in for one class. But Niles Rush worked on one character six months, nearly went crazy, mm -hmm. built an unbelievable piece, like just an amazing piece built on the Witcher in the Witcher right. world. And uh, it was just ungodly, but, but not just in sculpt. It was also textured. It was also in the game engine. Oh, and awesome. uh, he went in for an interview at the uh, motion picture company, MPC, over there in the UK. Mm -hmm. They looked at that one work, they hired him on the spot, they didn't look at another one of his works. Yeah, that can happen, totally. Okay, so the question is, how many pieces does somebody need to have? Should we be focused on quantity or should we be focused on quality? How do we quality, thread that needle? Quality is the most important, I think. Because like I said before, people have been hired on just the one environment. You won't get hired on one prop. But if you, you, like, if you have one environment that's like consistent in quality and really well made and executed, that would be uh, enough, in my opinion. Okay. How do we develop our taste, our palate, so to speak? What do you do? And I was also wondering, like, how you search for music that inspires you as well, you know, because a lot of us are kind of off in our own little planet, you know, we're just doing this from our computer and interfacing with the world. Right. You know, how, how do we develop talent? Are we looking at the comics that we used to look at? Do we hit some French-Belgian comics? <laughs> <You know? laughs> how do we develop yeah. our vocabulary on this? Yeah, you can only really, like at the start, yeah, at least you can only really go for uh, what you yourself like and what inspires you. I tend to try and be versatile and like move around and like I go between realistic and stylized and different settings because it's good to have that range. And during the years, I've picked up uh, composers that I just prefer. Like uh, I have this one guy, composer uh, Macon is his uh, username on like Polycount, I think. And he's always inspired me with his music. And for a long time, I was, I used to just make pieces, art pieces from, from his music alone. Mm. So, I mean, whatever inspires you, uh, I think, uh, I don't know, music I've always preferred because it's just, it's easier to close my eyes and imagine something, mm -hmm. even if it's just a, if it's a sense of something, even if it's just a feeling, it helps me. Because if I don't do that, I end up, I easily get stuck in doing just whatever everybody else is doing. You know, I'm going to make a sci-fi corridor. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not very yeah. inspiring. You know, it's yeah. not very, it doesn't come from, from inside. You know, it's, not, mm -hmm. it's hard for me to get passionate about. So that's kind of what I'm doing. A lot of my art and my style and what I, I try to go for is probably just because of the games I played in the past, right? What I like, like I like Zelda and Ocarina of Time. Yeah. You know, it's uh, all of that inspired, like tranquil environments mm -hmm. always inspired me. So that my art just reflects that now. Yeah, like um, the scene we're looking at right now is very tranquil. Yeah, exactly. It's just like non-noisy environments with colorful textures and colors. You know, it's it's uh, just what I prefer right now. Where uh, do you find the music? SoundCloud, is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there, mostly. And YouTube, I guess. But mostly SoundCloud. Like a can organize it after i want electronic mm -hmm. yeah. rock music then you can like you can sort it out and then you i go through i i'm like when i start a project i tend to use 
okay, I'm going to spend two nights just looking up or like listening to music. Yeah. You know, I don't try to stress it too much. I'm just like, okay, going to find something that inspires me. And then I go like that. Because I get, I get everything from music. I get setting, I get colors, I get like the general feel and everything. So that's what I tend to do. Do you tend to listen to it on repeat or listen to a yeah, whole repeat. album of it? It happens, yeah. <laughs> repeat <laughs> or finding music with similar style and then listening yeah. to like the, their whole album or something. I found uh, listening to music on repeat like oddly focusing. Not, it's just incredibly focusing for me. Yeah, I do that all I, the time. I also have, I, I'm a strong believer in in conditioning yourself. So I, when I want to work, I have a mm-hmm. playlist that is like work mode. Ah, yeah. Because the, some of the hardest barriers for artists is to get into that creative flow. Totally. And if you condition yourself to always listen to like the same type of music when you need to get into flow, like it helps to just put you over into the zone, in my opinion. Uh, so I tend to do that. So I like on Spotify, I have my different lists for what I need to do or like for when I need to work. No, that makes a lot of sense. The other day, my um, kids were doing the homework and my wife turned on Mozart and my mm. daughter, my daughter is just, she's just a interesting creature, but she's like, mom, I can't focus with this Mozart. Can you put, um, and then she gave the name of this other band, which sounded like Dokken from way, way back in my day. And it was all a headbanger metal, right? And my daughter's <laughs> like eight years old. <laughs> And so I walk out into the room and there's like head banging metal on and my, my daughter and my son are both doing math homework and my wife's just walking around like she asked for it. Yeah. You know, you like what you like. (laughs) You can't help it. (laughs) So crazy. I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is good parenting or, but you know, they're doing homework. They're doing math. I mean, it works, you know, (laughs) it works. (laughs) Okay. So when developing taste, are you mm-hmm. looking to get noticed as well as get a job or is this coming from internal or are we thinking about how to sell it? And what advice do you have? You know, I know most of us were artists, so we're actually, we're not really, you know, we're not here trying to sell ourselves, like maybe if we're in marketing or something like that. Right. No, you I, know? yeah, I've, I've played that angle and it's been hugely successful. <laughs> it's sad to say, but like, I've been on the cover of Substance. Yeah. For the summer edition. Yeah. And that whole scene, I made that with the intention of being different and like selling. Yes. It's weird, but I, the main shot of it is a vertical shot. Mm-hmm. And there are very few artworks on ArtStation that are vertical in the 3D scene. So just doing that puts you ahead a lot because you're doing something that is different. It's very common in concept art, but yes. it's very hard to do vertical art and using like unreal because you to do it properly you have to twist your monitor around and i have Mm -hmm. two monitors and i buy monitors that can rotate okay so i put one viewport on one monitor right i rotate the whole monitor and then set the settings for a vertical shot to work right and then i work on my right monitor where it's like regular widescreen yes so like if you want to try and try different compositions yeah. It might be worth just looking into like try a vertical composition. Okay, got it. So we started out this conversation of how do you thread the needle and you and you basically said don't just sell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. I <laughs> uh, no, but it's like thinking about what puts you ahead of the competition is, I get is it. basically yeah. the point of it. In that case, it's like just figuring out what's different. Because you kinda you get these like you you get so used to seeing the same type of artwork on ArtStation 
Yes. So figuring out what, like, don't necessarily do what's popular. Or like, if you want to do what's popular, then try to put some unique twist to it, whatever it might be. I think it's good to spend quite some time thinking about what you're going to do, what you're like, like the planning stage before you even get to making something is actually worth thinking about and analyzing because you're investing in a project that could take your six months. For you to spend a week or two just thinking about what you want to do, colors, reference, compositions, what inspires you, is totally worth doing before actually investing six months in a project. How do you plan a scene? I tend to, I mean, even at this, like I have my faces, production Mm -hmm. stages, and I tend to, if I'm doing my own design, then I put up, I divide all my reference into atmospheric reference and then uh, prop reference. And I even do like, I even do compositional reference. Like I tend to draw a lot of my inspiration from movies, cinematography, Mm -hmm that doesn't necessarily relate to the setting I'm making. Because a good composition is a good composition, whether it's a Wild West or it's a fantasy setting. Right, totally. You know, so that skill, that kind of thing is transferable. So when you're looking for reference for composition, you can look at anything. It doesn't matter. Like you need to get out of your head and be like, I need to find something that looks exactly like what I'm doing. You don't need that. You just need to figure out like, I heard this movie or this concept artist does great compositions. Then you can pull from that. You don't have to find the correct setting or the correct style even. Okay, great. So I think I want to pivot now and chat a little bit about the technical side of this, and especially when you're developing environments. So you mentioned, you know, like we'll, we'll assume somebody's, we, we know somebody needs to be reasonably competent at developing props. Not reasonably, right. they need to be pretty much good at this point at developing props and building the assets in a timely fashion with the modern tools. But when we get into building the environments, how important is the lighting? How much do we need to have that kind of optimized? Like, should we be worrying about light maps and baking all that stuff, dynamic lights? Like, what extent should we be focused on the technical side of this? I think for when it comes to game art, you mm-hmm. need to be aware of what is performant and not performant. Yeah. But your art doesn't necessarily have to reflect that. Got it. Because it's better you take the time and put the extra polygons on your spheres or Mm -hmm. like your tubes, right? To get it to look really good and not so, you know, faceted or pushing the lighting settings to max for your final render, right? That's totally fine. You just need to show as well that you're actually aware because your art, the quality of your art and how good your art is will get you the interview. And at the interview, you can tell them about all your knowledge about game development. Because you'll get questions like, how would you handle this situation? And then if you can tell them how you would handle it with all performance, Mm -hmm. different techniques in mind, then you can tell them there. You don't really have to show all of that in your portfolio. When I started, showing LODs and everything was super important in your portfolio. That You don't really see that anymore because lots of AAA studios use SimpliGon now, which automatically LODs all your assets, right? It's good to know. It's good to know how to make manual logs for one, but like it's not really necessary anymore. You just need to know about it. Mm-hmm. It's better that you focus on making good art because that's the stuff. If your art is good, it'll get sent around the office. Mm. That's what we want. Yeah. What about effects and motion, right? Like we've got the grass moving, you've got clouds moving. Right. Yeah, that's the luxury. You have to be interested in all areas. It's not necessary at all that you know about shaders 
how to make complex particles or anything. Mm -hmm. You don't really have to. It's good to show that you tried it out. For me, it's just a means for me to make my scenes more lively. But yeah, I don't think you need to know, but it's good to know. Got it. And then in terms of the actual uh, skill set for an environmental artist, there's there's a lot. There's foliage, tree mm -hmm. modeling, rocks. Mm -hmm. You know, then if you we were talking about sci-fi quarters, that introduces trim sheets. I mean, trim sheets can be anywhere, but right. it introduces trim sheets, modularity for hallways and, and, right. and uh, stuff like that. So there's a lot. Is there a, should somebody focus on a particular area? Like, let's say, focus on exterior medieval scenes. Is there a big division between the people that focus on that versus people who are like, hey, I'm going for Halo. We're doing all sci-fi. It doesn't really matter what setting you do. I mean, it's always good to go with what's popular. There's a pro and con of like trying to replicate the style of the company you're trying to get hired by. Because mm -hmm. if your art is actually lots, a lot worse than they make, then it becomes a problem. Then they're like actively comparing their game to your art. Right. And if you're not up to par, then you're in a tricky situation. Right. You know, there's actually a staggering amount of artists that learn on the job. I never used to do foliage before. Mm -hmm. I learned that on the job. I didn't really know how to make foliage when I got a job, you know, that's just, oh, art test, foliage, cool. Let's, let's spend a couple of days learning all about foliage. You know, <laughs> right. it's, uh, it's just part, you don't have to know everything. It's good to have dabbled in a little bit of everything, but it's also like, it's a little bit of a trap trying to like become a vegetation artist because yeah, sure, that's great. And it's very sought after, you know, but they're also like making guns as well. Like most companies already have a gun guy. It's better if you're actually more versatile, in my mm. opinion. All right, Chris, thank you so much. Let me open this up for questions. If you guys have any questions, now's a great time to post them up. Do I have any boot campers in here? So Mr. Bobo is asking what's your favorite movie when it comes to compositions. That's tricky. Uh, landscape stuff is probably, what's that movie called? The Revenant? Mm. Because the character isn't necessarily the focus in that movie. Key is the focus, but it's like, they show so much of the environment that's breathtaking by itself. Yeah. Which is why I like it. But yeah, I mean, it's only like now when I've become more experienced that I've started to actually appreciate movies more and making art that actually has the one frame focus, you know, it's yeah. better. It's like, it's generally, it's easier for the workflow to focus on the one frame. And also you produce better art if you get into that. Cool. All right. Brian's asking, is it important to show your process in your final or in your portfolio pieces or keep that hidden? The processes today are pretty standard, like they're standardized. So like unless you're making something vastly different, there's no need. If you're making something vastly different, then you should show your process because you should be proud of it. But if you're making guns or cars the same way everybody else is, then there's no there's no reason to, in my opinion. What about the tutorials that you've done at level 80? Do you think it's, does it help your career or somebody's career boost their profile, help them get a job or any of that stuff, doing stuff like that? I think it's definitely worth doing articles. Uh, it's something you put on your resume. It's something that helps you. Like if you're a European trying to get you on the stage, showing that you're actually like you're trying to be part of this field. Yeah, it's always a good thing to get more exposure in that sense. Mm -hmm. Did you see any kind of bump from, I mean, you 
you were highlighted by substance, algorithmic. So that in and of itself is a pretty big deal. Right. Does that change the kind of job offers that you get or, or not? It does, yeah. Exposure is always good. <laughs> you, you know, it's been great and I love it, but it's, it hasn't really gotten me like a, a lot of job offers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. a privilege to be doing s- such a simple style and be, or have been part of like the substance uh, the splash images. It's, it's really cool. So Yaz is asking, um, he's at an indie studios on a, it's very stylized, and, but he wants mm-hmm. to work in a AAA. Um, right. after it ships. So mm-hmm. is the stylized still relevant? Should you put it on his portfolio or in his application? Oh yeah, for sure. Because uh, like every production knowledge is great to have on there. Uh, showing that you can work in a team and you can deliver, that's super important. Like even if you come from movies and want to work in games, that's super awesome to have that stuff in. Ryan's asking, um, is there any environments that are currently kind of overdone? Anything in environments that's really just overdone, such as Sci-fi corridor. Yes, sci-fi corridors are overdone, but it's not because they're a sci-fi corridor. It's because everybody don't think further mm. than a corridor. Mm-hmm. I, like every time I bring up or talk about sci-fi corridors, I look at point at like Deus Ex or something because they have sci-fi corridors, but they're like pushing shape language. They have different materials on the walls. They're like mixing metal, wood, concrete. Like it looks amazing. They have patterns. Mm-hmm. They have floors that are super intricate. They have ceilings that are super intricate and cool. So like if you want to do a sci-fi corridor, you kind of have to, like, again, how do you elevate it further than than just the corridor, you know? Right. And not like, oh, I, I'm going to have a window on the left side and create some asymmetry. How can you push it for like use? Use different. It's like when Paul Pepera started using, when he started uh, using like cloth and stuff in his artwork for the sci-fi yeah. stuff. And it was just blew everybody's mind. And now you see it, like you see it in sci-fi games today. You no, know, he's just, he made a trend, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, mixing like sci-fi stuff with cloth. That was just, it's great. You see it in like Anthem, how they like wrap the the guns in cloth and stuff. It's, it's like really cool. So you kind of just, Try and think outside the box, even if it might take you weird places, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, because I remember that Paul just, I mean, that so beautiful at work. Right, right. It, it so was amazing. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily make sense, and you're hiding all the intricate detail or whatever, but that's also mm-hmm. part of it, right? Like it, mm-hmm. made, it made it so that you could have, it, like, re, it highlighted the intricate detail in other areas. And you had that stark contrast between the, the different materials and how they felt in the render and everything. It was so good, amazing and inspiring work. What about software? Because there's Substance Designer, Substance Painter, the big boys out there. Quixel was first, but you know, and now they're coming out with different things. And then there's mm-hmm. Alchemist. How important right. is it? Should we be focused on one individual software because we only have so much time to learn this stuff? Or should we learn both? What do you think? Uh, I think generally skills are transferable mm-hmm. generally. So you only have to learn one software, in my opinion. Like you learn, you take a texturing software, take substance, you learn substance. Yep. You spend time in the one 3D modeler package. You know, you don't have to learn all three or four or whatever. Yeah, just focus on the one because all those skills are transferable. It's just a tool, right? You just get used to doing things differently in different tools. It's like when you had to choose between Modbox or ZBrush. You can still sculpt, you know, they're right. still sculpting characters and anatomy and all that, right? So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Dirk is asking, 
mainly focus on material studies and doing quick blockouts of environments, but haven't finished one fully textured. Will it be valuable to post these scenes on ArtStation in, within the portfolio, not just the blog? Uh, yeah, okay. So yeah, having studies in your portfolio. Right. I've never minded that kind of thing. And also, Dirk, if it's Dirk from, from the Dynasty Discord, then his stuff is amazing. Like, you see, it takes the extra, like, you look at the, the composition, the time, like, the artistic sense behind his work is really high. So it doesn't really matter if it's just a, it's a blockout, you know, because it looks really good. He makes texture. He made this, I think it was the catacombs, you know, in France, like, he just made a texture with a bunch of skulls and stuff. But then he took, like, the time trying to, like, put it in its setting. So he, like, lit it and had some animations of, like, creatures and shadows going on it. So it looked really spooky. But in the end, it's just it's just the texture with the shadows and uh, like some small animation. But he really just you get a sense for the whole. Like you can imagine what's behind the camera, kind of. You know, it's really cool, and I, I've always enjoyed that. If you want, if you focus on textures, then uh, making a small little scene or a setting for it is it's great, and it's something that I would say uh, most material artists should do instead of just doing the the balls, right? The material right. balls. Right. Awesome. And along these lines, like how. Is there a job out there for, because this is kind of a surfacing job, correct? Mm -hmm. the, uh, the substance job for the most part. Yes. So is this a job that you see out there very prevalent, maybe more so than the full environment job? Or I think, as you said earlier, most studios usually have a substance guy. We have a substance guy, right? But the problems in studios now is that they don't have a problem finding people who know how to do substances. They have a hard time finding people who have made substances for production. Nah. No. Stuff that is proven to work. You can make textures, but there's a very huge difference from making a bunch of different materials than to make a complete set of materials. So like, if you know you're going to make a desert, then you go like, make a desert biome, like you make 10 different desert textures that blend well all with them. And they're like, that's a big difference at like setting that stuff up because that's more production focused. You have to think, how are all these textures I'm making going to work and interact with each other? How do they blend? How do they tile? How are we going to paint the mask that blends all of these, right? Mm -hmm. And there are a couple on ArtStation, uh, experienced artists that make sets, right? They start like making complete, like I'm, I'm going to make Iceland, right? And they make a whole complete set, texture set for Iceland, like the greener grass, you know, the cliffs and there's the rocks and stone and all of that, and then puts it together in a small environment. That's really valuable because then you can see how all the textures actually interact with each other in the scene. It's much more interesting that way because you can't really tell that much from a material ball. You don't can't tell how it tiles. You can't tell how will how it works in a in a huge environment. Got it. Looking at Josh's stuff is actually really because you can see in like all oh, the stuff he did for Shadow of War, like he has a bunch of his material balls, right? And then he also has screenshots about like this is how they're used in the environment. Mm-hmm. Super valuable. Cool. So, so Re had a question I think that might be quite useful to get from you. She was mentioning, asking how you deal with procrastination. I plan mine. Plan your <laughs> procrastination? Yeah. Nice. I, Tell me more. I plan everything these days. I'm super busy. <laughs> <laughs> I, we're not super human, you know. Uh -huh. We need to relax. However, so I tend to plan my relaxation time. I have dedicated hours when I work and I only do work and don't want to be bothered, which is why I have the playlist to get into work mode. Mm -hmm. And then I have gaming time when I game and relax. So 
I plan mine. Even for students, I would recommend this because sometimes you learn more from all actually doing other things and analyzing about what you're about to do and what you have done and yeah. what you can do better than actually just forcing yourself to do stuff all the time. You don't have to be a master sculptor that takes years, way longer than your time as a student or trying to get a job. So just focusing about like, what do I have to learn? What are my weaknesses? And try to like correct those is sometimes more valuable. Like I've grown, I think I've grown more from just thinking about what I need to be become better at and need to improve in my art than I have spent actually making my art. So that, so I plan mine. I plan mine for sure. Plan relaxation time. It's super important. All right, Chris, man, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and sharing your, your wisdom and for looking at the student work. That was really nice. Oh, no worries. No worries. Anytime. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Have an awesome evening or uh, afternoon, wherever you are. And uh, Chris, have a good one, man. I look forward to chatting more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And if anybody has any questions, you can always contact oh. me on uh, Art yeah, Station. And I have a blog that I run as well. Outside Move of ArtStation my... or on ArtStation? No, it's on ArtStation where I go through like development for UE4 stuff and my own project. And I tend to try and give back a lot of what the community has given me. So students, graduates, everybody just send questions if you have any. I'd be happy to answer any questions you have. About All right. Anything. Well, there you go. So Chris Radsby and uh, right there at ArtStation, guys, you can see the link right here. Have All a right. good one. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.